Thank you. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and open them to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, that's where we're headed here in just a moment. I want to talk to you about um, this text that I think helps us understand how our identity and our destination influences our perspective and the way we live our lives. And so, so our identity and our destination and how that shapes our perspective and, and action forward in life. Our identity being what gives us value, what, what helps us to understand who we are. Our destination meaning where are you headed in life in the sense that, that we are all headed somewhere. Jesus talks more about hell than he does about any other subject in the New Testament. And for us as Christians, uh, we have been called to pursue that day when we stand with him, when we join with Christ in the new heaven and on the new earth. And, and even that truth should shape our lives here and now, today. And I want you to think about that as you, as you hear these words from the apostle in Philippians chapter 3, realizing, remembering that he is in a Roman prison at this point in his life. And he is seeing the Lord do some wonderful things through ministry in the churches uh, there across Asia Minor. He is seeing God's faithfulness as he works sharing the gospel there in that Roman prison. But here in this text, we're going to understand that there are also some who at one time said they were Christians who are now walking away from the faith. And we're going to listen to Paul as he thinks through that with us. And so look with me at God's word, Philippians chapter 3. We start at verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I long for, who I love, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, God, that you have pursued a people. And Lord, that so many of us are accounted as a part of that people. Lord, that, that you are calling people to come to you even today. And so, Father, I pray that, that you would use this time to help us think about what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And that we would examine our lives Lord, to see if we are living in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we look at this text. I want to just unpack uh, the, the couple of verses that, that are in there because they're, they're loaded up with wonderful points. And so the first thing that we have to understand is, is that the path away from God leads to destruction. There are two paths that, that are kind of unfolding in this, in this text. That there is a path away from God, and then there is a path that a citizen of heaven walks even here on the earth. And the first is the path away from God leads to destruction. I wonder if you think about that. The, the, the fact that, that your friends who are 
far from Christ, your family members who are far from Christ. Maybe you, if you're far from Christ, your, your life is moving in a direction toward a destination. And Paul doesn't waste any words to say that your life is on a path to ruin, to destruction. And maybe you say, well, I plan to retire with a lot of money, or I, I plan to retire and, and live out my life with a wonderful education, or, or maybe I'm, I'm able to contribute in building something and caring for people, in, in writing something and teaching something and in, in playing music and in, in serving our country. Paul says, ultimately, if you are not walking your life with God, then you are on a path toward destruction. And he warns, he is, he is waving his arms to these that have once said they were Christians who have now turned away from Christ. He is warning them that they are on a path of destruction. How do you know if you're on a path that leads to destruction? Well, there are some ways for you to understand that, to see that in your life. The warning signs along that path. The first one is this. The path away from God leads to temporary pleasures. The path away from God leads to temporary pleasures. Paul says their God is their belly. I like that one. Ever since I was a little boy, that has stuck in my head. That, that, that is a, a portion of a scripture passage that has stuck in my head. Their God is their belly. How many people do you know that before they finish this meal, they're already talking about the next meal? Right? That, that was a wonderful lunch. Where are we going to eat dinner? Right? That was a great supper. I can't wait for breakfast. Their God is their belly. And here it certainly is speaking about food, but it's talking about sensual pleasures. It's talking about immorality. It's talking about, about greed even. It's talking about, about longing for success, longing for fulfillment, longing for accomplishment, and not being satisfied in what you have. And you say, how do you know that? Because he calls it their God, their small g God. What is a small g God in the Bible? A God is an idol. It is something that is created by human, a human to fulfill what they want. If we want the crops to grow, we create a God of fertility. If we want a God to, to, to bring water, to take care of that crop, we create the God of thunder, or the God of rain, the God of the moon, the God of the harvest. We create a God that, that we can try to manipulate and control. And here Paul says they have made their God, that thing that rules over them, their belly, their pleasures, their desires. He said, this is a path that leads us away from God. And the third thing we see in this text is the path away from God delights in shame. And it's not, it's not just enough that, that they experience that immorality, that they experience that dare I say the word gluttony on a holiday weekend? It's that they glory in it. There is a delight of what is next and how can I have more? Our pride in us does not lead us toward 
Christ, it leads us toward more pride. It leads us to want more and more and more. So far that the apostle says that they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The path away from God focuses on earthly treasures. When the Bible speaks of earthly treasures, he, it so often speaks of things that, that are set against what would honor God. They, 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 it's set on, on what just pleases self. It's set on what I can get to elevate myself above others. To make me happy. Right here in this moment. So many times as a pastor, an unhappy spouse would come and would not want to work on their marriage anymore because they were sure that God wanted them to be happy. And therefore they wanted out. It is placing our happiness, whether that is in a lot of money or in the right spouse or the right foods or the right belonging as far as a a club or a society or an economic class, prestigious organization. The apostle says their, their sight is on that rather than on heavenly things. Looking to self, looking to government, looking to policy, looking to business, to education, even to medicine as the end-all, be-all. It is what will bring ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment and cure the human problem. Paul says, if that is your view, your mind is set on earthly things. But instead in this text, he says, you ought to be looking in a different direction, especially you Christian. You, your focus ought to be different. And Paul shifts here in this text, and he begins to talk about that. He says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship. It's belonging. It's residency. There is a permanence to the country where you are a citizen. Most citizens are longing to get back to that place where they are a citizen. They may visit other places, they may explore other places, but they long to return to their country of citizenship. And Paul says, Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. And because you are a citizen of heaven, your life should be shaped. That, 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 remember what I said? That, that is your identity. And so here in this little phrase, citizen of heaven, our identity and our destination are wrapped up in that little phrase right there together. Heaven being, being certainly the streets of gold and, and the, the gates of pearl and the walls of jasper. But even more than that, being where God is, being in the presence of God. Paul said that, that, that it is far better for me if I depart and go to be with Christ. Even more than, that, than leaving sorrow and suffering and, and difficulty. Paul's great desire was to be with Jesus. So his identity was that he was a citizen of that country. 
His destination was to be with Jesus. And therefore it shaped every aspect of his life as he moved forward in mission with God. And so we see that measured out here in this text. The first thing is that being a citizen of heaven means Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. It's interesting that that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. That is against our God being our belly. That's the competition right there. God being, being something that we created... Bowing down to the God of the Cracker Barrel. To the God of the chocolate cake. To the God of of greed, of the dollar bill. Of the 401k. Versus being led by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's interesting as we think about that, that that, that if we are to create a God for ourselves, then your God could very well be different than my God because what you want in the world may be a little bit different than what I want in the world. But when we come together and we say, our Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ, for all who would follow after him, it is true that it's not coming from within us. It's coming from outside of us. This leader, this Lord, this Savior, this Redeemer, it's not coming from within us. It's coming from outside of us. And that speaks to us about the gospel. The fact that if we are to have peace with God, we cannot ultimately look within. Because that that restoration is not within us. The forgiveness, the mercy, the, the, the grace, the ability to overcome our sin is not within us. It only comes to us from God through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has come to redeem us, to forgive us, to restore us. And Paul says once you realize that that your satisfaction does not come from within you, once you understand it comes from outside of you, in fact it comes from him as your Lord and Savior, then you need to understand some things about him. And the first thing is that he is at work to transform us to be like him. Being a citizen of heaven means that Jesus will transform us To be like him. And I would submit to you that he has already started that. In the hearts of Christians. Here in this text Paul is talking about the full transformation that is coming. When when, when we are given our glorified bodies as Jesus was when he was resurrected from the dead. He is pointing toward that. He has that in his view. But he also understands that God is at work to change the heart of his people. He is the one who is overcoming greed and putting in generosity. He is the one who is taking out bitterness and putting in kindness. He is the one who is taking out that that anxiety and and giving calm and self-control. He is the one that is bringing peace. The ability to forgive. Some years ago while teaching a a grief share class, I came across this 
this phrase from, from this group of counselors who encouraged people who were dealing with the loss of someone that they loved, that they encouraged them to lean in to the grief, to lean into the grief. I've never heard it said that way, but it made complete sense because I had seen people resist the grief that comes when someone they love dies. I had seen someone deny the grief that comes when someone dies. And so to say the only way that, that you will be able to live in whatever the new normal will look like for your life is to lean into it. And I began to think about that, that concept of, of not just leaning into grief, but I began to think about that's what God has been calling us to do all along with him. When God over and over and over in the Old Testament tells his people to rest in me, to, to let me fight your battles, to trust me. It is to, to lean into him. It doesn't mean that we do nothing, but it is that we put our confidence, that, that we put our, our, our hope, it's put, we put our trust in him. And Jesus comes and he says the same thing. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you. Learn from me. In essence, he's saying, let me transform your life and you can trust me. Trust me to be generous. Trust me to forgive. Trust me to love. Trust me to sacrifice. It is to lean into him. And so, so a thought that I have regularly is that I must rest in Christ. And I was saying that to somebody recently and they said, oh, you better be careful. People, I was, I was encouraging other people to rest in Christ. And they said, oh, you better be careful. They'll, they'll, say they're, they're, they'll say you're calling them tired. And I thought, I am. Because I'm tired. If I was just left to turn away from bitterness and from anger and from, from worry and from doubt and from fear all on my own. When I am left there, when, when I act like there is no God and I try to do that myself, it leaves me tired. Paul, in a Roman jail, who is about the mission of Christ, both writing it to the Philippians and sharing the gospel with the Roman centurions who are watching over him. He says this, Christ is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is transforming us even in a Roman jail, even wherever you are in Bowling Green, Kentucky. He is at work to transform your life, Christian. Both now and in the life to come, to make you ultimately what he wants you to be. But the work has already begun. And I think it's interesting, can, 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 can we really trust him? Paul, I, I love Paul so much because he just, he anticipates, he's just so honest. He, he, he anticipates, can, can we trust him to actually do that? Well, he answers you in this next phrase. In verse 21, he says, Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Yes, you can trust him. Being a citizen of heaven means our king rules over all things. He has the power 
to subject, to put under his rule, under his authority, all things. Does that mean kings? Yes. Does that mean nations? Yes. Does that mean my heart? Yes. His desire is to work in us so that we become like him. So that we are light, so that we are salt, Paul said just in the chapter previous. So that we reflect him, that we glorify him, that we honor him. He has the power to help you accomplish that as you rest in him. Lean into his transforming of your life. Paul said that's what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. You say, well, why doesn't he just take over everything now? I would say it's because he is giving another moment for grace, for kindness, for repentance. Because there are some of you who are living as if your belly is your God. And you need to repent. And he is not putting ultimately all things under subjection to him. Because he is giving you the opportunity to come to him. To come to him now. To turn. To turn from your sin. To turn from your selfishness. To turn from your self-dependence. And rest in him. By confessing your sins. By turning away and repenting. By calling out saying, Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me. And lead me. It is because of his kindness that he delays another moment. And Paul says here finally in this text that when, when we understand these things, when, when, when we have this solid foundation under us, that we are citizens of heaven and that our lives are to reflect Christ as he transforms us as we legislate, as we pay our taxes, as we raise our children, as we live in our marriages, as we grow as husband and wife and, and everything that, that comes with that, as we, as we go about our daily jobs or our responsibilities in our home, as we play on the little league team or march in the band, as you write essays in high school, as you take those exams in college. Paul says in all of these things, being a citizen of heaven flows through them. Do not watch the news this afternoon and say, I wish he would have preached a message that said something about rioting and about protesting. I wish he'd have preached a message about the presidential election. It is 4th of July weekend. I'm telling you, hear it. I am. His values, Christ's values, his character, his nature, what he desires for the world should flow through us. Find it where you are, teacher, financial investor, doctor, lawyer, dentist, taxi driver, I don't know, bus driver, whatever you are, wherever you are in the spectrum. Find it. What is it? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that look like where you live in retirement, 
on your street. Because Paul says finally those who understand that they are citizens of heaven living it out on earth. He says they stand firm in their faith. They stand firm in their faith. That's that's how he ends in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers whom I love, whom I long for, my joy and my crown, those of you who are living for the glory of God in this world right now, no matter the difficulty, no matter the struggle, no matter the task, those whom I'm cheering for, I'm praying for you, I'm, I'm on your team, I'm rooting for you. What should you be doing? He says, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. The scholar said the church was not to be weakened by disunity, turmoil, or wrong values. It was to stand together to accomplish God's will. To carry the great commission forward. To make disciples of all nations. For the glory of God. Through a heart of the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, as I've listened to the rocket's red glare for the last week. And nursed and cared for a little puppy dog who was not so happy about the rocket's red glaring. As we look at the country, as we think about this as a 4th of July where people are wearing masks, where there is rioting, where there is protesting, the question that has circulated in my mind over and over and over is why has God given us freedom? Yes, I'm grateful for it. Why has he given that to us? There is a weight of responsibility for the person who is not only a citizen of the United States of America, but a citizen of heaven. How are you using your freedom for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for for your goodness, for your kindness. Lord, that that you have given us an opportunity through Christ to be set free from our sin, to be forgiven, to know you, to be restored. Father, to be transformed, to be more like Christ through, through your word and through your spirit with the help of your church. Father, thank you for those great things. It's such a blessing. Beyond anything that we deserve or could imagine. And Father, we pray that that you would help us. Lord, you have placed us here in this place at this time. In this spot in history for your purpose. Lord, may we not be simply looking to our bellies. But Lord, may we be looking to Christ and pointing others to him. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand.